everybody. It is Friday, February 16th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu. And that is a Mosh Wanunu who is very happy it's Friday. I am Jill Wagner. <laughs> this is the place <laughs> where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Was in uh, the Middle East, came back to New York. <laughs> Jill, I spent the day Thursday in D.C., got back from D.C., headed to Arizona today. So it's quite a week. Actually, had a uh, high school government teacher who was very inspirational uh, to me getting into politics and journalism. His name was John Bolger. I think he's still teaching in the uh, northern suburbs of Chicago, but he would begin our classes on Friday with, it's Friday! <laughs> I so, love that. <laughs> I just, it's, it's somewhere deep inside me from the late 90s. Additionally, you and I, who both had crazy weeks, mine not quite as crazy as yours, we just realized that it's a holiday weekend. So <laughs> that we have a little <laughs> more pep in our step. We do. Good news is a holiday weekend. Bad news for all of you. We are going to enjoy that <laughs> holiday. So unless something crazy happens, I don't mean to tempt the news gods. We will see you back here on this podcast on Tuesday. And with that, let's get to today's news in a made-for-TV moment. DA Fonnie Willis takes the stand in a case that could have huge implications for her and her own career. And also Donald Trump will explain. Also in Trump world, we now have a trial date for his New York City hush money payments case. And is it possible that he will be delivering the official GOP State of the Union response? We'll discuss. Plus, what we're learning about the Kansas City shooting, what we know about the one person who sadly lost their life, and also a possible motive for the shooting. Some new details on Russia's secret military weapon in outer space. United Nations under fire for saying Hamas is not a terrorist group as Israel conducts a controversial raid in Gaza. In tech news, Apple fans are starting to return their Vision Pros. We'll tell you why. And no surprise here, New York City named the priciest pizza city. But Mosh, I was actually surprised by the average cost of a pizza pie. Jill, most New Yorkers are buying pizza by the slice. So it's good to have a frame of reference for the price of a pie, but I will say I'm split as a Chicago native. Well, we've got some numbers on that as well. Plus, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating. Okay, let's start with that wild day in court. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis took the stand to testify in a hearing over whether she should be disqualified from the Georgia election subversion case against Donald Trump and many of his allies. Willis, if you remember, is the district attorney who brought the charges against Trump. She is accused of having an improper affair with the special prosecutor that she hired, Nathan Wade. The judge needs to decide whether their relationship constitutes a conflict of interest or the appearance of one, which could also be grounds for dismissal. On the line here is Willis's entire professional reputation and potentially the whole case against Trump and all of his co-defendants after three years of investigations and prosecution. And anybody who was watching this on TV, it played out like a scene in a television drama. Nathan Wade testified first. Willis originally said that she was not going to testify. She was refusing to testify in this hearing and then dramatically entered the courtroom and you could hear members of the audience actually gasp. Willis came out swinging. She said witnesses were lying about the timing of her relationship with Wade. Early on Thursday, a longtime friend of hers testified that she began a relationship with Wade back in 2019. 
three years prior to when Willis said that she and Wade started seeing each other and while Wade was still married. Yeah, she says she was a longtime friend, but is no longer a friend, is claiming that she's lying. There are huge implications here. While many people are asking, like, wait, why is Fonnie Willis's personal relationship on trial here, so to speak? The issue is on multiple levels here. One of the defendants who is uh, on trial along with Trump put this case forward saying that effectively Willis benefited from hiring Wade, who she has a romantic relationship with, paying him money because she hired him as the prosecutor. And then he would take her on vacations to Napa Valley and the Caribbean and various places. And so she was benefiting from the money she was paying him. And so there are a number of accusations here uh, related to their relationship. Uh, Jill, you brought up the timing of the relationship. That's key here because that would, if proven, imply that they lied. Uh, he lied in divorce documents. She lied in other legal documents uh, and in public statements. In court filings, they say their romantic relationship started in 2022 after she hired him as the prosecutor on the Trump case. So uh, this will continue today. A judge will have to try to make sense of all of this and determine uh, what the potential ramifications are for Willis's career, for Wade's career, for their roles right now, and the Trump case and prosecution. Jill, back to those vacations here for a second. Uh, that is uh, one of the ethical issues they brought up here uh, because, again, she hired him. He was paid $650,000 by the state uh, over the course of the past couple of years. Then she's seen, if he paid for these vacations, as benefiting from the salary she was paying him. Uh, she claims, and he claims, that she would reimburse him, but only in cash, undetectable cash, no receipts. Here's a bit of what she uh, said under questioning yesterday. For the cruise and for Aruba. Yeah, I gave him his money before we ever went on that trip. You gave him cash before you ever went on the trip? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when you got cash to pay him back on these trips, would you go to the ATM? No, lady. You would not go to the ATM? No. Okay. So um, Fulton County pays you direct deposit, I assume? Yes, Fulton okay. County and the uh, state of Georgia both pay me direct deposits. Okay. So the cash that you would pay him, you wouldn't get it out of the bank? I have money in my house. You have money in your house. So it was just money that was there? When you meet my father, he's going to tell you as a woman, you should always have, which I don't have, so let's don't tell him that. You should have at least six months in cash at your house at all times. Now, I don't know why this old black man feels like that, but he does. When we were growing up, my daddy had three safes in the house. So my father's bought me a lockbox, and I always keep cash in the house. So you hear her saying there she keeps cash in her house. At another point, she was asked when she went to the ATM last or the bank uh, to take out money. Of course, they're looking for records here, accountability. She said, no, I don't have to go to the ATM. I just keep lots of cash at home. Uh, and she doesn't remember when that cash uh, was taken out. But she was always raised in a way where she was told to keep cash at home, six months worth of cash. So this went back and forth for a while. Uh, clearly here, the Trump team trying to catch her in a lie. But of course, she said, no, I just happen to have a lot of cash at home. And that's how I reimbursed uh, Wade for the vacations, thereby not benefiting from the salary I was paying him. She was particularly angry here. She was pushing back hard. Uh, Jill, you laid out that scene uh, that she didn't want to testify. And then she shows up in the courtroom and demands to testify. And she was feisty in the testimony at several points, telling the judge, telling the uh, Trump team that she's not the one on trial here. Take a listen. So your office objected to us getting um, Delta records for flights that you may have taken with no, Mr. Wade. Well, no, no, no. Look. 
I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. So my question was, you have any problem? I object to getting any personal records of mine. We're not dealing with privilege through a witness. Trying to remind the courtroom there, ultimately here, that this is a trial about election interference, and she feels this is a big distraction. Though many legal analysts argue that this is a self-inflicted wound on the part of Fonnie Willis uh, engaging this romantic relationship. She was, by the way, interviewed several times uh, where she would randomly say, Jill, in 2020, that you know she's not somebody who sleeps with her staff. She just threw that out there. Uh, of course, now, in retrospect, people are playing those clips online. So the big question here is whether this pushback will be successful, the timeline of the relationship, what the judge decides based on all of this. Uh, there are also questions about her hiring of Wade, given that he had very little experience in these types of felony cases, in RICO cases. So many people are alleging that she hired him because she was romantically involved with him not because of his capability in prosecuting this Trump case. So this is a huge distraction for the case. Again, the testimony continues today. She could be thrown off the case. He could be thrown off the case. It could be thrown to a different government entity. That could be delayed for a while because there's very few DAs that have the budget and staffing to be able to take on this case in Georgia. So there's a lot that we're watching. So uh, if you're looking for interesting television today, Definitely tune into the cable networks. They are, I'm sure, based on Thursday, going to continue live a wall-to-wall coverage of this. And now to another development on the Trump front, including another one of his criminal cases that we're watching. A New York judge set a March 25th trial date for Donald Trump over charges that he falsified business records to cover up hush money payments to Stormy Daniels before the 2016 election. Trump had wanted the case to be dismissed or at the very least delayed. The judge basically taking 10 minutes to deny the request and to confirm the trial date. He says this trial could last about five to six weeks, which would mean that it ends in late April or early May. All of this making Trump the first former U.S. president to stand trial on criminal charges. Yeah, so just the recap here. We just mentioned that Georgia case, which is sort of a mess right now because the uh, DA and prosecutor are facing their own questions. That's the election interference case trying to overturn the election in Georgia. This is the Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up of payments to his attorney in 2016. This is the New York criminal case. This was the first indictment, if you recall, that was announced a year ago. And then there's the two federal indictments related to the classified records in Mar-a-Lago and the federal election interference January 6th case. Uh, Those are being held up right now uh, over the Supreme Court with Trump alleging that anything he did as president uh, is privileged and he shouldn't have to go on trial for them effectively. So those are on hold. Georgia's sort of a mess right now. So this New York case is going to be the first one we're watching. It is viewed by legal analysts as the weakest of the cases because, again, the nature of it, that it's eight years old, that they're going for a felony here over a financial cover-up related to tax issues on the state level, but they're trying to federalize it because of the nature of the fact that he was running for president. The bottom line is this will be the first trial that we're watching, and it will come amid the primary, but by then... We're presuming that he effectively is the nominee unless Nikki Haley's pulling off some sort of shocker in the next couple of weeks here and making it a competitive race again. So it'll be less about a distraction from the campaign, but it'll certainly be high interest. It'll get a lot of coverage and we'll see the impact that it has on voters because we have seen that Republican voters have been effectively rallying 
to Trump here, seeing him as a victim, uh, seeing these trials, these various indictments as uh, unnecessary and uh, over the top and a version of election interference, uh, buying his argument there. The question is, how will this play with independence in the rest of the country? Uh, how will Alvin Bragg, the DA, conduct the trial? So there's a lot that we'll watch here, but it is notable because this will be the first of four criminal trials. And remember that if uh, Trump is elected, he can basically kill the two federal trials. It's the Georgia case and the New York case on a state level that he will still have to face whatever ramifications for if he's elected president. And in terms of the timing, it is interesting because polls have shown that particularly the Alvin Bragg case about the hush money payments, that when those charges were filed, that is when Trump started to gain in the polls. So that was the case that a lot of people felt was just such an overreach. Yeah. Uh, so we will see again what happens when he actually is on trial. And most one more Trump headline to quickly get to. There is some talk that he could be giving the official Republican response to President Biden's March 7th State of the Union address. Yeah, that headline popped on Thursday. A couple sources saying they were considering it. It does appear uh, like he is leaning against at this point. Remember, the president is the whole state of the union before Congress. It goes an hour, hour and a half, all the cheering, et cetera. And then there's always the other party rebuttal, typically in an empty room somewhere, sometimes with a small crowd. It never goes great. It never looks as big as uh, the state of the union. So it's fraught with peril. And it does appear that his campaign is saying, well, one of the officials, earmuffs uh, kids, <laughs> this is complete bullshit and proves the fake news will literally run anything based on their imaginations. So that's what one official had to say in the Trump campaign. But clearly here, this would be the first time you would see this sort of scenario. Uh, and so they're thinking creatively down there at Mar-a-Lago. Plenty of news coming up. But for now, let's get a word from our sponsors. Yeah, let's welcome our newest sponsor, Jill Goodchop. They offer customizable boxes of high quality meat, seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. We just got our first shipment of Good Shop. We uh, ordered steak, chicken, and salmon. They're all vacuum sealed, frozen at peak freshness. You can choose from a whole variety of high quality cuts, grass fed ribeye, filet mignon, free range organic chicken, a thick cut bacon, as well as a whole bunch of seafood options. As I mentioned, salmon, shrimp, scallops, a whole bunch of options. Now, in our house, we're all about sustainable, organic, antibiotic free meat and fish, and they offer a number of those options. A couple of things you get with Good Shop, you get convenience, you get quality. They source exclusively from American farms and fisheries. They support local family farms, independent ranchers, and they're offering the Mo News audience now in our first week with Good Shop an incredible offer. Head over to goodchop.com, G-O-O-D-C-H-O-P, goodchop.com slash Mo News 120 and use the code Mo News 120 to get $120 off your first four boxes of Good Shop. Again, the code is MoNews120 over at goodshop.com slash MoNews120. Again, $120 off your first four boxes. And Mosh, of course, on this podcast, we're always talking about health trends and food trends, and it can be very difficult to get all of your nutrients. Well, one way to get all the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 Powder. I've been using it for months. It is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick and lets you get on with your day knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. 
Visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription. Or if you prefer, you could just try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. All right. As we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull & Branch Bedding & Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull & Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start with an update on the shooting at the Kansas City Super Bowl victory parade from CNN. We have now learned that the shooting was over a personal dispute between several people. Police say there was no link to terrorism or homegrown extremism. Authorities say two teens are still in custody while police investigate the violence that overshadowed the celebration. A third person, an adult, was released Thursday after officials deemed that they were uninvolved in the shooting. One witness to the shooting said that he had overheard an altercation before the shooting where a woman told a presumed shooter, don't do it, not here, this is stupid. And he said the person pulled out a gun and started shooting and spinning in a circle. Just a tragic situation, Jill. The woman who was killed, a local DJ and a mom of two. Her name is Lisa Lopez Galvin. Jill, I was reading some of the local media coverage in the Kansas City Star, really a, a beloved member of the community there. Yeah, one of her friends described her as the most wonderful, beautiful person. She was a local DJ, as you mentioned, but she also apparently did everyone's weddings. So everyone kind of knew her in the community. Yeah, and she had posted on her Facebook page how excited she was about the Super Bowl, was a huge Chiefs fan, uh, and then you know, ultimately, sadly, lost her life there just after that parade. Uh, it came as 20 others were hurt, ranging in age from just 8 years old to 47 years old, according to the police chief there. A half of those injured were under the age of 16. The majority of the patients have now been discharged from local hospitals. As we told you, there were a million fans down there for the parade. Uh, Players were still on stage when the shooting took place. And Jill, we're only in mid-February here, but uh, this is now officially the 48th mass shooting in the U.S. this year. From CBS News, the White House confirmed Thursday that the U.S. has intelligence that Russia is developing a capability to target satellites in space. It came a day after the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee gave a cryptic warning about a serious national security threat. John Kirby, the national security spokesperson, telling reporters that the threat is related to an anti-satellite capability that Russia is developing. He said it is not an active capability that's been deployed and that while Russia's pursuit of this particular capability is troubling, 
that there is no immediate threat to anybody's safety. The White House says it is not a weapon that can be used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. Kirby has said the U.S. has been aware that Russia was working on this for many months, if not years. Quote, but only in recent weeks now has the intelligence community been able to assess with a higher sense of confidence exactly how Russia continues to pursue it. Jill, some people were asking me, uh, they were remembering the James Bond movie with Piers Brosnan a few, I think it was 20 years ago now, Die Another Day, where there's that laser from space that is like, you know, burning things on Earth, because that's sort of what this initial threat sounded like. But it appears this is a, a satellite jamming uh, weapon that could either fry satellites or jam satellites in space. Again, not an Earth-specific threat. Uh, the question is, is whether the Russians are actually capable of this or just seeking to develop this. And so while those initial headlines were a bit scary, uh, thanks to one uh, leader on Capitol Hill, uh, <laughs> it appears here, you know, uh, it's a threat, but not an imminent threat. And it's interesting timing here because hours after the news broke on Wednesday, the Pentagon sent its own missile tracking system into orbit. That's part of the U.S. effort to bolster the military's presence in space. This is part of a U.S. plan called the Proliferated Warfighter Space Architecture. Uh, their plan is to blanket low Earth orbit with hundreds of smaller, cheaper satellites. Effectively, a version of what Elon Musk has built with his Starlink system. The idea is that even if enemies of the U.S. can knock out some of our larger satellites in higher orbit, the system could keep operating in lower orbit. Keep in mind, we've put this video up, I think a few months ago on the Instagram account, of just how many satellites are going into space. We've gone from just a few several decades ago to thousands, and you know, soon we'll have tens of thousands. I mean, orbit will be fil filled with it, and you'll have it at various levels of orbit around Earth. And so it appears you know, the U.S. is looking to build some sort of redundancy here, especially as it appears that uh, our adversaries are also building up uh, their presence in space and their capability to knock out things in space. Once again, thank goodness for that Space Force. <laughs> space Force! <laughs> Jill, we've now brought up Space Force uh, two days in a row. Uh, I think we need to head out to do a Mo News tour <laughs> of Space Force HQ out there in Colorado. If anyone with Space Force links, please send us a message on Instagram. All right, from the AFP Wire Service, also known as Agence France Press, as you... <laughs> Good? Good. <laughs> I've been dreading that. Okay. Um, a top aide official with the United Nations elicited outrage from a number of international officials Thursday when he said during a TV interview that Hamas was, quote, not a terrorist group for us. UN Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator Martin Griffith said on Wednesday that, quote, Hamas is not a terrorist group for us. Of course, as you know, it is a political movement. Griffiths made the comments in response to a question about whether Israel's insistence that Hamas never be part of a future Palestinian government is realistic. He added that, quote, it is very, very difficult to dislodge these groups without a negotiated solution, which includes their aspirations. Griffiths on Thursday then tweeted a clarification of his comments, writing, just to clarify, Hamas is not on the list of groups designated as terrorist organizations by the United Nations Security Council. This doesn't make their acts of terror on October 7th any less horrific and reprehensible, as I've been saying all along. 
Regardless of clarification, uh, the U.S., Israel, the European Union, the Germans are among the many groups that push back on the U.N. over the course of the past 24 hours. All of them consider officially Hamas a terrorist group. Uh, the Israelis pushing back, saying the U.N.'s pro-Hamas stance has finally been exposed on live TV. You're no humanitarian, Martin Griffiths. Sadly, you're a terror collaborator the uh, Israeli UN ambassador said. The White House saying on Thursday, Hamas is a terrorist organization. We've said so. It is. It just is. This is just the latest in the back and forth between the Israelis and the UN. The Israelis uh, viewing the UN as effectively on Hamas's side in this war, whether it's the UN refugee agency, UNRWA, or the UN humanitarian official in this case. So this will make the uh, post-war planning difficult as the Israelis have grown to see the UN really uh, an enemy here, a collaborator of sorts with Hamas and the UN insisting, no, 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 they're a neutral voice here. And most certainly you can't forget how long it took UN women to condemn what they're calling gender-based violence, which is brutal rape of Israeli women on October 7th, to when they have been so quick to condemn it basically anywhere else. Yeah, it took them about two months uh, to condemn that. And so, again, another piece of evidence, the Israelis cite uh, to say that the UN is no fair arbiter here or neutral force uh, when it comes to this conflict. At the same time, though, the UN heavily involved has the infrastructure to be able to provide support and aid here. So it creates a difficult situation given what is unfolding, the humanitarian crisis that is unfolding uh, in Gaza, where 90% of the population is displaced uh, and many are surviving based on those UN camps there. It all comes as Thursday, the Israelis raided the largest functioning hospital uh, in Gaza, the raid on the Nasser Hospital uh, in southern Gaza. The Israelis say was, quote, precise and limited. Uh, it was based on intel they had that Hamas terrorists have been hiding there, keeping hostages in the facility. Uh, one of the freed hostages who was freed in those exchanges in November uh, said she was kept in Nasser Hospital along with two dozen other hostages Earlier, So using that intelligence, uh, the Israelis decided to go into the hospital uh, to look for uh, the remains of hostages or living hostages. Uh, Hamas, which has used hospitals in the past, pushed back, saying that uh, the Israelis here were forcing out and injuring dozens of staff, patients, uh, displaced people, uh, the families of medical staff. Um, in the hospital. And it's right in the vicinity of Rafah. And that is where uh, there's been a back and forth, as we've been telling you about, uh, between the Israelis and a lot of members of the international community, including the U.S., about whether the Israelis will press their offensive into the city of Rafah. Pre-war population, 250,000. Current population, 1.5 million, because so many of those displaced people have moved to Rafah. The U.S., the U.K., the French, uh, among those, telling the Israelis, you need to have a game plan to evacuate those people if you believe you need to go into Rafah. The Israelis believing they need to go in there because the uh, strongest group of Hamas that's left is based in Rafah amongst the civilian population there, about four battalions of the original 24 battalions. Uh, the vast majority of those have been destroyed. Four remain in Rafah. The Israelis claiming they'll go in. Based on their current force posture and given the evacuation that needs to take place, it's unclear how imminent that is, despite the fact that it's been in the headlines. It could still be weeks, if not longer, away. Nonetheless, planning is taking place to evacuate the one and a half million people from Rafah, including by the Egyptians. The Egyptians just across the border there have said they do not want to take in any displaced Palestinians. 
but they appear to be building an area for tents that would house at least 100,000. Egypt worried about the scenario that they'll just be overwhelmed by displaced people coming across the border, climbing the fence. Uh, And so they're planning for that scenario, even though officially they don't want to be taking in any displaced Palestinians. All right, moving on to some tech news from The Verge. For some Apple Vision Pro buyers, the honeymoon is already over. It is no coincidence that there has been an uptick on social media of Vision Pro owners saying that they are returning their $3,500 headsets in the past few days. Apple lets you return any product within 14 days of purchase. And for the first wave of the Vision Pro buyers, we're right about at that 14-day point. Comfort is among the most cited reasons for returns. People have said the headset gives them headaches and triggers motion sickness. The weight of the device and the fact that most of it is front-loaded has been another complaint. The product manager for the tech site The Verge says that he thought using the device led to a burst blood vessel in his eye. At least one other person noted that they had a similar experience with redness. To be fair, they, they note that VR headset users have anecdotally reported dry eyes and redness for years. But he says, despite being as magical to use as I'd hoped, it was simply way too uncomfortable to wear, even for short periods of time, both due to the weight and the strap designs. I wanted to use it, but dreaded putting it on. He said it was just too expensive and unwieldy to even try to get used to um, the constant headaches. Yeah. And when you're doing reviews for a tech website, you have to get used to these sorts of things. Jill, you know, ultimately, we're all different sizes. We Our, our heads are different sizes. Our vision um, is all different. Every human body is unique. So not surprising here that some people have found this to be uncomfortable. And living in a VR world uh, for prolonged periods of time uh, appears to be an issue for some people. Uh, they've seen the same issue with smartwatches, by the way. It often boils down to the size and weight of the device compared to your particular wrist. And when it comes to your face, uh, for smart glasses and headsets, having a low nose bridge can mean the device just slips off your face or fails to adequately block out light. Um, so, you know, really, they'll have to figure out how to better customize it for all our various faces, I guess, if they really want this to go in mass. Whereas an iPhone, right? You know, a phone is a phone is a phone. You can put it in your pocket, put it in your purse. Uh, this, you know, has to customize around your face, similar to, you know, those of you who wear glasses or wear sunglasses. Like, you know, it, it all has to be comfortable. So what's comfortable for one is not comfortable for another. So clearly some returns here for the folks at Apple. And then beyond the hardware, some people are returning it just because they're not finding it to be as useful as they thought in terms of productivity. Some of the reviews we've been seeing on social media here uh, say that uh, the devices make them feel dizzy, that the device wasn't applicable to their type, their line of work. And so ultimately, you know, the cost of it and its current applications, uh, not worth the literal (laughs) headache it's giving some people. (laughs) The reason this story, I think, is so fascinating is because hard as they try, people just don't seem comfortable in these like face wearing devices, whether it was the snap spectacles or any of these VR headsets. It's kind of the next frontier when it comes to tech. What you, you mentioned the Apple iPhone, there's just so much they could do with the phone, right? Like each, each new edition is, yeah. is mildly or moderately better than the previous one, but they're not reinventing the wheel. So this was a whole new segment for them. And again, others have tried it. And so far, it's just falling flat. Chill, this has been the vision of the future since the Jetsons. I mean, you could go back, like, you know, having these, like, types of glasses. Remember Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox in the 80s? Like, when they were imagining the teens in the 2020s, what were they imagining? 
virtual goggles, augmented reality, you know, living partially virtually, partially in this world. Uh, so this has been envisioned for years, uh, and they can't quite figure out how to make it work. And I think when they do, it'll be totally cool, and it'll have specific applications, right? Gaming makes sense. Certain applications totally make sense, but sort of living your life in them or working in them all day doesn't appear we're there yet. Scott Galloway, who I love to quote on this podcast, always points out, when you don't see the CEO of a company wearing the devices, that tells you something, that you're just, it's just not cool yet. Stop trying to make fetch happen. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, Mosh, finally, you know how I love talking about how expensive food has gotten. This story from the New York Post, New York City has been named the priciest pizza city as the average pie now costs $33.65. That is for a one topping pie on average, more dough, pun intended, than anywhere else in the 50 states. The survey was conducted on behalf of a real estate website called Clever, and it also reveals prices for pizza rising faster nationally than overall inflation, about 4% compared to 3.5%. And while sticker shock may be the new normal, at least one expert thinks the hikes make sense. The owner of Scott's Pizza Tours says pizza prices have been pretty low. We should note Scott's Pizza Tours, if you're ever in New York and you're looking to like get a good history of pizza and like a tour of some of the best pizza locations in New York, definitely check out Scott's. So he says prices for pizza have been pretty low. So it's not a surprise to see them finally going up. There's the rising cost of doing business, increased labor expenses, sky-high percentages paid to third-party delivery services, higher rents, and higher ingredient costs. He says that's all to blame, but just the start of it. In addition, he says, we can't forget that we're experiencing a slice renaissance right now, and quality is also going up. I'm very into that. All right, so according to the post here, Jill... Some of the pizzerias are using very high-quality pepperoni, so they blame that for the prices here. Uh, They've also been switching to more expensive flour, we're told. Again, what they're telling us, I haven't been in the kitchen there. And with that flour, there's longer fermentation time, which means more refrigeration, which means higher electric bills. Anyway, it appears to they have a lot of reasons here for why they're claiming the prices are going up. Uh, Also, New York City, uh, rent prices for a lot of these locations continue to go up along with everything else in this city. So not surprising to see the prices go up uh, and how expensive pizza is, just like everything else in this city. So Clever here, Jill, and I should note for the record, I haven't heard of Clever surveys before, but we're going to go with it on this podcast for the purposes of this pizza list. Uh, They claim based on their calculation, metrics, affordability, quality, etc. Denver, number one pizza city in America. So credit, kudos to you, Denver. New York fared poorly, apparently, uh, in this list. Buffalo, uh, number two behind Denver here. And then New York further down on the list, according to Clever, again, and their list here. Again, I don't have access to how they did this data. They found that Americans prefer New York-style pizza to Chicago deep dish by 52 to 38 margin. I don't find that surprising. You know, Chicago is sort of an acquired taste, and you can't have the whole pizza. You can kind of have a slice gel. It's like a, a quiche of sorts, depending on on what you eat. But I will say this, you definitely want to try it. And if you're in Chicago, I'm a big fan. I mean, in Chicago, you have different opinions about what's best. Gino's East and Lou Malnati's are my two go-tos for Chicago-style pizza. All right, you heard it here first. It's not just news, it's also pizza and restaurant recommendations. Speaking of food, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, kick it off. Jill. What I'm watching this weekend, Sunsets, 
the Red Rocks, Mother Nature. Uh, we're headed to Sedona this weekend. So I'm going to go with nature this weekend. Uh, there's not a specific TV show or movie I'm planning to watch. I'm looking to enjoy uh, the Southwest. Uh, we're headed down there with Olivia, my wife. We're going to connect with my parents there. So looking forward. I have not been to Sedona for a number of years since I was a reporter covering the John McCain campaign. He had a place in Sedona. So looking forward to getting back there. What are you watching? Okay, so it's President's Day weekend, Mosh. So I'm going to go with a movie about American presidents. So I think my favorite is The American President with Michael Douglas. I also happen to love Dave. I also like The Butler. I've actually never seen Lincoln. So I think on Saturday night, uh, my husband and I will figure out which presidential movie to watch. I can't imagine that you don't have some type of opinion on this. So talk to me. So I, you know, also uh, enjoy The American President because also you see Martin Sheen is the chief of staff. And then, of course, a couple of years later, Sorkin would make him the president, make him President Bartlett on West Wing. Uh, also uh, a Dave fan. Jill, it's it's more of a, a mini series, but Adams, John Adams with Paul Giamatti the HBO series I thought was uh, particularly good as well. Okay, Mosh, what are you reading this weekend? So we got a lot of attention for this. We posted a few slides on Instagram from the Atlantic piece this week, why Americans stopped hanging out, uh, showing how lonely we've all become, uh, how it's coincided with a smartphone and the sky-high depression rates they're seeing among younger people. And just the fact that kids through adults, through seniors, are spending a record amount of time by themselves. And so this piece in The Atlantic, we'll link to it, uh, talks about those stats and the ramifications for society, our politics, and our country. With all this time we're spending by ourselves, one notable stat, women, young women, for the first time are spending more time with their pets than with people. And so uh, just a, a lot of remarkable stats about what technology uh, has done to us and what it portends for, for our society. Jill, are you reading anything more uplifting than that? Mosh, not really, actually. And if anything, it kind of plays into what you were talking about. It's from the free press, and it's called When It Comes to Sex, My Generation is Screwed. And it's about how divided politics, a lot of Gen Z women, more liberal, a lot of Gen Z men, perhaps more conservative. And that is creating a lot of tension when they start to date or preventing them from dating in the first place. Yeah, they're seeing this record split. They didn't see that among millennials, among um, Gen Xers, but among Gen Zers, this partisan split on a gender level between women and men is something they haven't seen before. Uh, and clearly here, it's, it's leading to trouble on the dating scene and in the bedroom. Okay, Mosh, what are you eating? So uh, Alex has done some research on Scottsdale, where we'll be as well in addition to Sedona. And so I'm looking forward to meals at The Mission and Fat Ox, you're familiar with either or there are any other places we should definitely check out in arizona please send them my way but looking forward to that uh during our trip jill what's on top for you most just a lot of leftover valentine's day chocolate in my house sounds great jill it's like valentine's day halloween there's a couple times a year where you have an excuse to eat that chocolate on the kitchen counter all right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And if you like what we're doing here, join Mo News Premium. It's a way to support what we're doing by joining Mo News Premium. Uh, you get access to an extra Instagram account, uh, extra podcast. You get your questions answered about the news. You get some behind the scenes content. Uh, Jill took your questions this week on the congressional race in Long Island, uh, the Santos seat that got filled. I did some behind the scenes coverage uh, from the Middle East. 
And so you get a lot of extra stuff over there. And if you're into the news, you can also test yourself because we do a weekly news quiz every Friday. So look for that today. You can join right now over at mo.news slash premium. And my live basically turned into me asking everyone what kind of stories they like to hear on the podcast. So it just turned into a podcast discussion, which I'm all about. So I will be doing more behind the scenes as we put together the podcast each day. All right, everybody. You have a wonderful, safe, relaxing holiday weekend. Jill, I'll see you back here Tuesday. Mosh, you have a relaxing weekend, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Jill, with the baby and Pacific time, I'm not looking forward to what the wake up will be, but, you know, fingers crossed. Try to put your phone down, take in the fresh air, take in the sunsets, enjoy it. (laughs) All right, bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.